What's up, guys? Uh, week 95, and I have some things to talk about first. I did actually have strep throat, so last week I did go to urgent care the next day, and I had strep throat, so it was pretty bad. But I'm all good now, well, at least recovering. So um, I have some things to talk about before I get into the reviews, kind of some semi-reviews. You know how I do in the beginning, sometimes the opening, I'll talk about the titles I watch, but little little quickies that most of my reviews aren't quick enough as is. They are pretty fast. But uh, I guess let's talk about, um, oh, um, Music Machine is a website I did an interview with. I guess they have a Patreon and they put the interview up there first, but eventually it will be live everywhere. There'll be a link below for the Patreon and there'll also be a link below for um, the actual interview if it, if it actually is live by then. If not, it'll just be the Patreon. I'm not sure when it's going live. But I did get to see a couple movies that I just want to kind of brush about, uh, brush up, up on with and talk about a little bit with you guys. I watched King Cohen on Shudder and uh, it's a documentary about Larry Cohen, great director. Really enjoyed it, really fun. I uh, had interviews with like Joe Dante, John Landis, Martin Scorsese, and uh, Fred Williamson, some people that work with him. Love the ones with Fred Williamson because basically everything they say is just kind of, they're just kind of fighting. Not fighting, but they're talking to each other. Like they're like, that didn't happen. That's not how it went. They're like saying the opposite. And you know, Fred Williamson is just like, you know, he's not a bull shitters so it's just funny it's enjoyable uh love larry cohen love the documentary if you, if you guys love filmmaking or just his films it's well worth watching it, it's great and i also got a chance to see powerbomb which uh had its toledo premiere uh friday um this is these are shot a week ahead of time so um in this movie i know the filmmakers i'm friends with the directors and some of the people that are in the movie so it's, it's very hard to be uh unbiased with this kind of thing or uh you know it's weird. Like, if if you know the filmmakers behind, are you harder on them? Are you softer on them? You don't really know. So you really don't get, give a fair assessment of these movies. Uh, but uh, I will say that I'm proud that they made it. And it's a wrestling thriller uh, kind of deal where a wrestling fan kidnaps a wrestler and he through his fandom. It, it's very strange in that kind of aspect with, like, you know, the, the idea of having, like, a wrestler thriller kind of movie. But I, I must say that uh, my, my friend stars in it, Wes Allen, and he turns in one of my favorite indie performances I've ever seen. He's He's got this great energy. He's equal parts hilarious and equal parts scary, and it mixes comes a believable uh, portrait of uh, a disturbed person. It's also cool because they, they talk about a little bit about mental health in there and, you know, even the healthcare system and stuff like that in fandom. They address these kind of things. And, you know, it, it's a pretty interesting independent movie, and I think people should look into it. There'll be a link below to the Facebook and everything, which should have, like, screenings and whatnot. I, there's no Blu-ray or DVD out yet, but uh, keep an eye out for a Powerbomb uh, by B.J. Colangelo and Zach Showalter. Watcher. I always mispronounce his name. I've been, I'm terrible about even pronouncing my own friends' names. That's just terrible. But these guys are uh, from Ohio. They're from Cleveland, and they do a bunch of stuff. So, uh, good guys. And they made a bunch of shorts as well, which I'll probably link some below. I think they're on Vimeo for free. But uh, yeah, that's I just wanted to talk about those few things. But let's hop into the first review from Severn Films. This is one that, uh, an Australian one, I wouldn't call it uh, Ausploitation really, but it's an Australian movie I heard about for years, uh, Next of Kin from 1982. Uh, yeah, uh, pretty much all I knew about this movie was that it was good. 
people were like, it's a good movie, it's interesting, and it's got a lot of things going for it. And, and I kind of fell into the hype machine, like it was super hype for me. So when I put this in, I'm watching it, I had heard a lot. It's a slow burn, and it builds, and it builds, and it has payoff. And that's exactly, it is a slow burn, and it does have payoff. Like to say it's not a well-constructed movie or a well-made movie would be completely inaccurate. Um, I, I must admit, the first watch, I was a tad bit let down, just because of the hype. And sometimes you follow into it, you try not to, but you do. But regardless, I thought it was a, a well-made movie and well, uh, definitely worth uh, watching. But it follows the story of it, it has that typical gothic setup, a very kind of almost generic gothic setup where somebody's and there's nothing wrong with that setup. It always works. Well, somebody loses a family member and they have to go back. They inherit a house. But this house, um, this woman loses her her mom and she inherits this kind of giant mansion, which has been turned into an old folks home. So she has to kind of settle in and start taking over these duties that her mother had. There's a helper there and nothing really seems right and you start to realize that her mother might not have all been there and there's some sort of maybe a possible mental ill illness uh through line through their family bloodline of oh, next of kin that's kind of title plays in there and uh, just some creepy things are happening with the older people. She befriends this older guy, and he has a stroke at one point due to some uh, very, very creepy haunting scene involving uh, somebody drowning in a bathtub, and which is one of the creepiest looking scenes in the movie, and, and visually uh, very terrifying. But he, she, he starts to maybe tell her some things, and he starts to discover some things in here. Uh, John Jarrett's in it. Isn't he in every Australian movie that us Americans get over here? He seems to be in all of it. Uh, he's the star of Wolf Creek. He's in Django Unchained. He's in a bunch of Australian movies I've seen. He's very young in this one, and uh, he's pretty good in it. Uh, the lead gives a pretty solid performance. Uh, this is definitely, like I said, a slow burn, but it has some haunting imagery. I knew a lot of people were comparing it to like Italian horror movies and whatnot. But this director, if you listen to it, he wasn't a huge fan of horror films. He, he basically a lot of this on you know a couple uh, Euro horror films that he really liked and stuff like that and you can uh, when you watch the special features you, you see some of that stuff and you, you're like oh okay I see where they're putting that in there and this in there the movie does have a, a nice feat of filmmaking at the very end in a, in a kind of a unique wonder, and it, it does set up all its uh, uh, foreshadows, a lot of the things that are going to happen in the movie, just not even subtly, and it just comes in and plays them pretty well. Like I said, it, it, it does everything right. It sets its things up. It has creepy moments, and there's a burst of violence in there that are surprisingly graphic, and I did cringe at a couple scenes uh, involving an eye through a keyhole. I was like, oh, ooh, ooh, that's pretty uh, crazy. But uh, I think it's well worth checking out. Uh, the music's really good. The music uh, is uh, one of the things that helps incorporate this uh, this weird feel to the whole entire movie. And the setting's great as well. Um, like people had po uh, pointed out before, you know, nothing creepier than a lot of weird old people. Some are kind of delusional. At times there's a little comedy element to it too, where this uh, one old lady gets a headset and later on she gets like a a Walkman, and she's like, I have no idea what this is, just in the background, and then it's like maybe even some like one for the cuckoo's nest kind of comedy in there, and then later you see her like listening to it or walking with it, somebody trying to talk to her, and she's like, I can't, that, that kind of stuff, but it's pretty unique. There's some, some decent special features on here. There's an introduction by the woman who wrote The House of Psychotic Women, which is a book I wanted to check out, and uh, she talks about this one for about five minutes, and it's pretty interesting. You know, talking about the mental illness and and the how and the you know supernatural ability in the movies, and you don't know really what's going on, and that's how a lot of these movies thrive on psychological kind of horror films. But and there's also two audio commentaries on there, which is great, and extended interviews from um, Not Quite Hollywood are also included on the disc. It looks pretty good, and it sounds really good. I, I like I said, I was impressed with the uh, soundtrack in here, and I do like the small town feel. There's a decent amount of characters in here that are interesting, even if they're only 
recently in it briefly, which I do kind of like that kind of stuff, especially the guy who runs the um, small little diner. His voice is very memorable and all his scenes are good. But uh, yeah, there's really good scene with sugar cubes as well. But worth we're checking out for sure. You know, I don't think I'm as high on it as a lot of people, but there's no doubt I can see its quality and I would recommend it for that. To my daughter, Linda Mary Stevens, I leave my entire inheritance, all goods, chattels, and worldly possessions that comprise the estate of Montclair. of Montclair is a mansion called Overnewton Castle in Keeler, Victoria, just 15 miles northwest of Melbourne. Uh, yeah, I was interested in less of the gore and blood and more the what you didn't see and what you didn't know that was going on and more into fear, I guess. <laughs> Okay, this next one, bear with me because the titles are all very similar and it's not going to be easy to recall all of them all at the same time, the titles when they come to me, but it is the uh, Sister Street Fighter collection. Um, believe it or not, I've never seen the original Street Fighter movies with Sonny Chiba. And this is kind of like a one-off series. One, she, uh, the actress starred in one of the uh, uh, Street Fighter movies briefly, I believe the first one, and they made an entire series starring her. There are four films in this series. Uh, this is again an Arrow release, sorry for not saying that. But uh, yeah, the Sister Street Fighter movies. The first one was made in 74 and the other ones were shortly made right after. Sister Street Fighter. Okay, we have this, uh, she's a, I can't remember her actual style of martial arts, but we have this martial artist who's like, has this unique style of two kind of mixed together. And uh, she's... Uh goes in she's like goes undercover to kind of like un find her brother who's been kidnapped and this drug smuggling uh kind of ring and her brother is being held against his will by this giant uh organization of uh baddies and it's led by this uh this guy who has a fascination with other martial artists so he has all these people from all around the world that know these different styles of martial artists and it's so awesome when it introduces all the bad guys even for a split second it'll be like it'll show them doing something and it will just freeze frame or, or or it will just say underneath them for a second. I don't even know if it freeze frames, but it feels like it. And it says their martial, their name and their martial artists and their expertise. And it's just like, this is so freaking awesome. Um, definitely something that Tarantino would later uh, kind of steal for freely from these movies. But uh, regardless, she kind of infiltrates and she ends up fighting all these people. And it actually ends up being one of the most entertaining movies with some uh, 
amazing fight scenes, very fun, unlimited amounts of great bad guys. There's tons of bad guys in there, all introduced. They all come into the end fight scene. It's a big fight scene. Sonny Chiba's in it himself, not as the same character from the Street Fighter movies, but he, he comes in and he does some great fight scenes and uh, there's like a dojo in here. I don't know if it's called a dojo in this kind of, uh, but there's a whole school of martial artists that the other, the bad guys and stuff are, are uh, up at heads against, um, at odds against. So it's just a, a great movie and, and, and you wouldn't think that people are going to be killed in this but no it's very violent and they somehow incorporate this sleaze and like some nudity in here which makes it like almost kind of an exploitation movie at times but i just can't recommend this first movie enough it is very entertaining if you like uh like karate and kung fu movies it's just uh just does some crazy dangerous things too and it's just fun and non-stop like entertainment and action as for the second one, it is called uh, Sister Street Fighter Hanging by a Thread, I believe. And uh, this one is almost as good as the first one. It's not quite as good. It's basically the same movie, let's be honest. Sonny Chiba's not in this. This time, uh, Sister Street Fighter goes in looking for a missing woman. And she unveils a, a prostitution ring, but it's more of a diamond smuggling ring. And these bad guys are literally... This is I can't make this stuff up. They are smuggling diamonds in prostitutes' butts and cutting them out. And yeah, it's more of the same. We got a bunch of bad guys played by a lot of the same actors we've already seen. All different styles of martial artists. She fights the bad guys. She does lots of good things. There's a, I believe there's a fight scene in the rain in this one that's just pretty dangerous looking. And it just I can't imagine all the stuff they had to go through for it. But um, this also has an undercover cop kind of deal going on with another character that kind of fills the role of Sonny Chiba. It's not as good as the original, but it's almost as good as the original. Still highly recommended. Still vastly entertaining as well. And again, more nudity than I expected in these movies. I didn't really expect anything, but there is a, a very big chunk of sleaze in these. I'm not making out like Sleaze Fest USA or anything, but there is some sleazy stuff in here, which was completely, I didn't think any stuff. I just think this is going to be a straight karate movie. Okay, the third uh, Street Fighter movie um, is called, what is it, Cheese? Um, <laughs> the Return of Sister Street Fighter. And this one is more of the same, but instead we have a bad guy who is uh, smuggling these chemicals that end up turning into gold. I don't know what's going on with that. It doesn't. It's alchemy at its finest. But this one, uh, for me, it stands out because there's a brilliant scene where he's like, I'm going to make all my henchmen fight for the top four spots. So there's this tournament. In the middle of this movie, there's this crazy tournament where all these different martial arts guys fight. And it literally like reminds me of something like Street Fighter. The I mean, the video game Street Fighter, not... Street Fighter or Sister Street Fighter. It reminds me of Street Fighter. The video game would definitely steal freely from this because we have all these styles competing. And uh, crazy weapons. All these movies do have these wild weapons that they had to make the bad guys exciting by having these ridiculous weapons and the sound effects. It's just awesome. Um, I don't really have much, as much to talk about this one because I think it's a little weaker than the first two. Like the formula, kind of like even with something like they keep doing the formulas over and over again, it starts to lose its steam a little bit and it becomes a little too repetitive. Although the first two work perfectly, this one works a little less. But the, the fourth one, I believe it's called Sister Street Fighter Fifth Level Fight or some crazy title like that. The fourth one is completely different. Um, in this one, it's the same actress, a couple of the same actresses, but she doesn't play the same character. Because if you, you find out some information about her in the third one where her parents or her mother is dead, and you're like, oh. And then the fourth one, it opens with her parents, and I'm like, what's going on? And then you realize it's not her, and I was like, oh. But then it has a character from the last movie 
played by the same it's a seemingly seemingly the same character with the same uh name and actress and i'm like what but it's not the same character just the same actress with the same name from the third one i don't know what they're doing i don't know what's going on but this one has a completely different feel to it we again have more of a police procedural going on where these bad guys are smuggling drugs this is kind of a, a thing going on in these movies but it's a little bit different because it's slower and we have this relationship between her, the main character, Sister Street Fighter's best friend and her brother. Um, and we have this flashback of the past that sees what they went through and we have some really tragic death scenes in here. We have a good, a really good, I believe it is a one in a hallway where he's fighting a bunch of these guys and he's getting backed up against a wall. A really great fight scene there. I think I prefer this one over the third one, which is probably not a popular thing to say. But there's also some um, crazy fight scene going on because the bad guys are using a movie studio as a front, which is a thing I've seen before in these movies. I think they do that in The Clones of Bruce Lee too. But um, these these karate kung fu movies, they do that kind of a thing. So we have this weird, giant, elaborate fight scene where these two, the two heroes, end up fighting a bunch of people dressed in movie outfits and props. The whole cast and crew of a movie and all the other bad guys. It's a really fun scene. It's really amazing. It takes place in a warehouse. It, it, it has some laughs and it. it has some good stuff going on. But this one is a bit different and it has more of a dramatic flair to it. And I really enjoyed it as well. Uh, there's not as many features on this disc as one would like. I believe there's only a couple interviews. I think it was uh, the first special feature on the disc, to be honest. Yeah, um, what is, oh, interviews with Sonny Chiba and the director and screenwriter. That, that I remember watching those on the first disc and being pleasantly surprised with those. Not and I'm not like pleasantly. I was I was happy with the special features, but the the other movies don't have any features on them, but it is four movies. Three of them are on the second disc. And I watched these in my strep throat like uh, a sick moment just three of them back to back like and I was like these are all great. I just watched all three of them in the same day. Um the second three. But uh, regardless, these are vastly entertaining. I can't recommend these enough. Um, if you like these kind of films, then this is highly recommended. I did buy the uh, uh, Street Fighter set too, so I can't wait for that to come so I can check out Sonny Chiba whooping some ass because I've seen some of his movies and he's great. But uh, these are highly recommended, never boring, always entertaining. Uh, the Sister Street Fighter collection. Highly great stuff. <laughs> You can tell Cocky we're ready. His aunt made them for the boy. You see?
Okay, the next one is from Arrow Video 2, and this is, has been previously released by um, Blue Underground, but this is the Arrow release, Strip Nude for Your Killer. Um, yeah, this one I have seen before. It's directed by uh, Andrea Bianchi, the director of Burial Ground, Night of Terror, or... <laughs> And I love Burial Ground, um, and it is one of the sleazy, craziest movies. And I'm going to say Strip Nude for Your Killer has got to be one of the raunchiest, sleaziest um, jelly I've ever seen. It's almost like it's the island of death of Giallo, where it's like, can we, how, many, how many fucking perversions can we cram in this movie? Let's get them all in here. Uh, we have this model, these group of models and photographers that start to get picked off, and you don't really know why, and that's the mystery of the movie. You start to figure out when there's more, more people being picked off who possibly is doing the killings. Um, this movie, ridiculous. It has like incest uh, stuff in it towards the end of the movie. It has uh, a joke about anal sex that's really tasteless at the end of the movie. It has abortion. It has so many things that are crammed into this movie. Uh, the lead of the movie, the lead character, the actor, he is a horrible piece of shit. Like, you hate him. Like, at one point, the, the uh, Edgewidge Fennec, who stars in this, who's a bunch of the Sergio Martino, uh, Gialli, and pretty much the face of Giallo. Um, she suggests that maybe we go to the cops, and the lead guy grabs her by the throat and starts strangling her, and I'm sitting here thinking, are you kidding me right now? Like, uh, this movie takes a whole new level of these Italian, uh, you know, chauvinistic uh, stuff in here. Like, all those Italian movies, like, every woman gets slapped in them. It's just like, you're like, yep, yep, that's just a chauvinistic Italian giallo movie. But this one takes it that extra step. It's like, well, we, we gotta outdo it. Like, everything about it is just over the top. Like, so over the top and sleazy, it almost is, it's so, like, losing its, like, classiness that it, these giallo usually have. But... <laughs> It's such a perfect setting for a giallo because we have them in this like fashion like models taking pit and it's just like they're so high class and it's perfect for that giallo setting. Um, the kills aren't particularly graphic, but there is a graphic nature to them where the bodies are mutilated. That's pretty nasty. Uh, and there's this character in this movie who's also a piece of crap. In fact, the people that run the um, fashion uh, place, the photographers run the whole company, are a married couple. One played by this heavy set guy who actually plays the lawyer and Midnight Express, who's just a complete pervert, and his wife, who's also a complete pervert, and these two are always trying to get the models to do things for them. And... <laughs> There's a, uh, the heavyset guy has some, you know, some sexual dysfunctions, and there's a blow-up doll involved. But regardless, this movie is the ultimate sleaze giallo, and uh, I can't really uh, recommend it enough <laughs> if you like Italian films or if you like Burial Ground. Um... But, yeah, it, it does. this one I remember was loaded with features. I'm going to cheat a little bit here. There's a commentary on here. There's uh, tons of stuff in here. The one, uh, yeah, I love the Cat Ellinger. Um, she talks about Edward Fennec's career in Giallo and sex comedy. That is by far my favorite um, special feature on here. That Some of the other ones uh, are new interviews with a bunch of the people that worked on the movies. And they do do two different versions of the opening. Some there's a blue tint to it, some there's not. But um, I, I'm not sure if I dug into the, I shouldn't say that's my favorite special feature in there. I did listen to some of the commentary, and I'm not sure if I actually got to the other uh, interviews on here, to be honest. But uh, I did made sure I listened to the Cat Ellinger, because she's one of my favorites, and she did a great job with talking about Edwidge Fennec's uh, career in sex comedy and giallo. But uh, regardless, it looks really good. I know a lot of people are like, I don't want to double dip for the Blue Underground, but it, I mean, some people might not have this one yet, but if you don't, I would recommend getting the uh, Arrow edition. Um, 
And I, I really would recommend checking this one out, especially if you haven't seen this one. And, and you know, it's kind of strange to see Edwidge Fennec and Agiello that's not by Martino or produced by uh, Luciano Martino, um, Sergio's brother. But regardless, uh, strip nude for your killer. The title fits. It's sleazy. It fits the movie. Good stuff, good stuff. A shadow in the night. Footsteps on the stairs. The sound of death. Carl, I'm afraid. What am I supposed to do? Magda, get that film. It's a special infrared film. Get it and develop it. Hurry. must have been killed by the same madman. Blood. To slake the thirst of a human beast. There's very little time to love. It must be done hurriedly, desperately. Because for him, for her, for anyone, an atrocious death may be approaching. Slowly, fearfully, the minutes pass by, and one feels the breath of death on the back of one's neck. <laughs> Uh, 
Okay, the next one is from Arrow Academy, and I really hadn't heard much about this movie, but when they released it, I was like, that looks interesting, especially because it started Alec Guinness, and um, yeah, it is The Prisoner. Okay, yeah. I put this in, and I didn't really know what to expect. I read the back, and I was like, okay, okay, we're going to get into this. And I started watching, and I was like, oh, this is instantly intriguing, instantly shot well. It looks spectacular in black and white. Alex Gannis plays this priest, and he's arrested by the government. And it takes place in this government where you really don't know what country it is, but it's definitely corrupt. And they're worried. Um, this is post-World you know, World War II, post-Nazi um, fascism and stuff like that, even though this government kind of feels fascist in itself. And they arrest Alex Guinness. He's this high-level religious figure, and they tell him it's for treason, and they want him to admit to all these things. And uh, his old friend is the one interrogating him, Jack Hawkins. These guys were both in uh, Bridge Over River Kwai later on, so that's kind of interesting as well. This is, I think, the first movie they worked together on. So the whole movie is this kind of psychological torture that Alec Guinness is going through and this breakdown of his character um, by his old friend. And you see this kind of corrupt nature of the government and all these people are holding out for the priest to see why he's been arrested. And he's not going to say anything wrong. And and it's really kind of heartbreaking breaking and grueling and you start to learn more about these characters as it progresses and it, it, this movie is driven by these two great performances a lot of the movie takes place just in a, a couple rooms with these guys talking and Alex Guinness is like locked in this area for a long time and his interactions even with the prison guard are great the prison guard's really good and uh, Alex Guinness at the end I don't want to spoil too much but the end, spe- the end conversation he has with the prison guard is really uh, is good and, 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 and very <laughs> well done and the way this movie ends is unique as well. And if you listen to the special features on here, um, I can't think of the guy's name who does it, but he has a video appreciation. And he talks a lot about it. And he, he just doesn't do one of these things where he talks about the history of everything. Like, oh, and they did this and this. But he gets into it. And he ta- and just like even listening to him talk about the movie made me like it even more, although I really thought it was a great movie. It's one of these deals where it's just I can't see anybody disliking it. And it's kind of based on a true incident, which is uh, scary in itself, but you can see this kind of uh, corrupt government being worried that the religious people, the religious figure is going to lead people to a different way. Um, and it drives me crazy. They're talking about the features that all these film festivals wouldn't carry because all these countries would ban it. They're like, well, this is pro-communist. This is anti-communist. This is politically dangerous is what Cannes Film Festival called and refused to carry it. And I don't, I, and when it comes to that kind of thing for me, like that Cannes Film Festival said, it's politically dangerous. Like that makes me never want to ever like go to Cannes Film Festival. I know it's 19, like 55 and you're like, well, we don't want to get in trouble. It's like, you shouldn't worry about that when it comes to film. I mean, if you're running a film festival and somebody brings in a movie that doesn't believe, that you don't agree with its political affiliation, do you think it's a well-made movie that deserves to be seen? I mean, I, even if you don't agree agree with what it's saying like i would play it even if i was like oh man this movie i I completely disagree with what they're saying but i think that there is some craft to it i would play the movie but i i just i know maybe they're worried about getting in trouble and they're looking at it as a job and i don't think film should be looked at as a job but that's me and you know i'm not always right that's just an opinion obviously but just like that Cannes film festival said it was politically dangerous is just like screw off dude stop stop it 
You're supposed to be a film festival. You're supposed to be celebrating all these different films. I know it's a different time back then, but it's just uh, it's just so funny that the movie was trying to point out this corruption and this like kind of uh, worrying about like um, stuff like that about people uh, being like kind of controlled by you know certain organizations or organizations blackmailing or framing other organizations so they can control power and then can's like no this is dangerous we don't want to touch it it's just like yeah you guys it's what happened in the movie is happening to it at the same time but just a really good movie really well shot two great performances and uh you feel sorry for Alec Guinness and you get in his head and you see some dark things and Jack Hawkins also I don't want to keep talking about just he does a great performance a multi-layered performance too and the ending they talk about it doesn't really feel like you expect it to go that way and and their characters are complex and what happened is complex as well but good stuff good stuff I'm sorry about all that nonsense we've had to put you through. I imagine this is more awkward for you than it is for me. Well, hardly that, I suppose. Oh, I don't know. In spite of your political creed, it's you who are the gentleman. No titles nowadays, of course, but yours was a noble line. You are a prince of the church. <laughs> and you to interrogate me. Well, times have changed. You were a hero to me in the resistance, you know, as you were to all of us. Tell me, do you ever miss those days? At least one was on the same side as all one's fellow countrymen. I make no distinction between my fellow men. Their service demands everything, and I warn you, permits everything. Is there any particular plot or counter-revolution you hope to unmask? Not unless you know of one. You believe as harmless, yet require as discredited. And the point of arresting me? A cigarette. No, thank you. If I may smoke my own while they last. Oh, come now, drugged cigarettes already. You see, you represent a religion which provides an organization outside the state. In your pulpit, you're more dangerous than a politician. With your war record, you're a national monument. You are outside the party, and that monument must be... Destroyed. Defaced, you see? I'll show you my hand from the start. Do you want to see mine? I'm difficult to trap and impossible to persuade. I am tenacious, wary, and proud. Proud? Quite sinfully. Of my record in dealings with your predecessors, the Gestapo. I am tolerably inured to physical pain. Okay, guys. This one is even more culturally important and well made and just such an important movie in the history of you know the world and it is tango and cash okay that was obviously a joke but uh yeah i love those like three disc sets where you get three blu-rays in the set uh, that's a stallone collection but you know i thought i saw tango and cash years ago but i don't think i ever did um yeah, Tango and Cash brings two of the great action stars together, Sylvester Stallone and uh, Kurt Russell in the late 80s. Um, yeah, this movie is nonsense. Um, Kurt Russell and Stallone are the best cops in their city, but uh, they don't really know each other, and they're at like kind of competing odds. They both get framed for something. When they go to meet the same sting, they get framed for a murder, and they end up going to prison. They're not going to sit for that. These guys decide to break out the prison and, and you know try to figure out and stop the criminal that put them there. This movie is over the top. It is absolutely ridiculous. It is a freaking cartoon. 
Dune, and the cast in this is amazing. Um, Jack Palance is the bad guy, and he's he's overdoing it to ridiculous levels. He's obsessed with mazes. He's like so over the top. He could have been a Batman villain. I mean, he was in Batman, but he could also been like a crazy Batman villain, like some one of those off the wall kind of characters that is like you know like the Mad Adder. He's like I'm the puzzle maker, Jack Palance, and it's just like you know how Jack Palance when he gets into it, he's always like. He like has this weird breathing, like he just seems so intense. Intense, yeah. And he's great in this. Um, he has some henchmen in here. One's played by James Hong, who's in a, or James Wong, who's in a bunch of stuff. Uh, he's in a China Girl, and um, what is he? He's in um, a Big Trouble in Little China, also with Kurt Russell. But yeah, so and then we have just some uh, Robert Dazar, Brian James doing a weird accent. Michael Jeter pops up in this movie. I just was like, why are all these people in this movie? Um, the uh, heavyset guy from Total Recall and Arachnophobia and Killer Fish. I was just amazed that all these people were in this. What a, what's a crazy time. Uh, but Tango and Cash is a blast. The action is over the top. Um, the bickering between Stallone and Kurt Russell is on point. I love Kurt Russell. Uh, I just I don't think there's that many people better than Kurt Russell, to be honest. And Stallone's really fun in this. He, he plays the up more uptight, worried about his clothes deal. And Kurt Russell's, you know, the crazy, almost mullet kind of, I guess you'd say, um, Riggs kind of uh, character. But I love their interactions, especially when they're in prison and they're like... Uh, <laughs> Like, the shower scene's really fun. And Robert Dazar is just crazy. But they play all the nonsense, and there's just giant stunts. It's just a blast. And there's just tons of explosions. It's just so silly, so stupid, and the most over-the-top buddy cop movie I've ever seen. And I wish there was a sequel. I wish this was a franchise, Tango and Cash, but just a lot of fun. Uh, I don't think uh, many people would not enjoy this, unless you don't have a soul or a sense of humor. But I th it's highly recommended. I'll tell you one thing. Whoever set us up is really connected. What are you doing? What are you doing? What are you doing? Relax. Soak. And don't flatter yourself. Meet Ray Tango. He likes money. He's a Kong. He's a go. But doesn't bother with cash. Meet Gabe Cash. He won't dance around trouble and doesn't mind stepping on toes. I hate your karate, guys. Two of L.A.'s top rival cops are having a good time staying in rhythm. You know me, huh? Yeah, I hear you're the second best cop in L.A. That's funny. I hear the same thing about you. But they're going to have to work together, even if it kills them. Right now! We'll take it. No. That's one of a kind. We won't put a scratch on it. Did you sleep with my sister? I was so drunk, I honestly, I don't remember, okay? Sylvester Stallone and Kurt Russell. <laughs> Tango and Cash. Okay, guys, the next one is The Heartbreak Killer, which is Indiegogo is still going on right now if you're interested, so the link will be below. But uh, The Heartbreak Killer is directed by Sean Donahue. Uh, he's worked on a bunch of movies, Die, Die, Delta Pi, these escort service movies, and it stars Eight, The Chosen One, who started uh, the first American guinea pig and a bunch of other stuff. Uh, the third escort service, Eight, The Chosen One, was uh, a famous YouTuber, uh, reviewer kind of guy, and uh, I know the guy. 
He's a good guy. So, and I know Sean Donahue. They're cool people. So, a little maybe um, it's hard to be on bi- or you know uh, biased here or non-biased, whatever it is, you know. But regardless, the Heartbreak Killer. This movie is coming out shortly. It is short. It is like an hour. It's like sixty-eight minutes long. So that's always good to keep an independent movie short, if you ask me. We have this loser character, Robert Hart, uh, played by Eight the Chosen One, who has some psychological problems. He has um, he can't get in a relationship. He feels rejected. He's always made fun of. He's just one of these kind of pathetic loser people that just doesn't know how to form human relationships. He ends up... Um, having some sort of psychological breakdown. And every time he has to go to this weird place where he meets an alter ego, also played by Eight the Chosen One, who's a little different. He's more aggressive, looks like his normal self. And he basically, maybe his id or his, um, and he's telling him what to do and giving him advice and also making fun of him and provoking him and stuff like that. <laughs> this movie feels like it's building up to one giant explosion, to be honest. There's some comedy elements in here just because Eight's character, Heart, is so weird and so cringy that you can't help but laugh at him sometimes like he's one of these guys he's like uh, he's like he has obviously a wig and you never know if he's if it's supposed to be a wig or it's just supposed to be not a wig it's really weird but it's just you never know like when this guy is like gonna it's gonna be funny or serious because he's such a weird character and he just spazzes out and he's bizarre just strange 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 but it's really nice to see eight get to play these dual roles and especially when he plays the more villainous uh inside his head role it just feels more natural for him i think but the other one is something completely different and uh it's also interesting to see at the same time uh, the music I thought was pretty strong in this for, uh, you know, I thought it was a little, I, I think it's the guy who usually does, uh, Sean Donahue's scores, who does the Descort service. So it's pretty solid music to be honest. And he does Tim Ritter stuff as well. So that was pretty good. And, um, no, he does, uh, does he do? Yeah, I think he does Tim Ritter stuff. He used to do Tim Ritter stuff. But, uh, and also I thought the camera work was better than usual. And, uh, you know, Sean Donahue makes a lot of low budget movies. So it was nice. I didn't see like, you know, a lot of times in independent movies, you'll hear like a lot of muffled sound or out of focus camera shots. I didn't see it here. I didn't, maybe a couple muffled sounds just a little bit, but not much in a restaurant scene. But, you know, there, the camera work was solid and there's some lighting and stuff like it. It's just, it feels like a step up for him. Uh, the plot of the movie, I don't want to give away a twist or anything that happens happens in the movie but it definitely feels like it belongs in an episode of tales from the crypt or like the outer limits it has that kind of a feel to it and it probably could have been more best fitting in like a 30 to 45 minute kind of style movie uh and that's where it kind of goes um i i enjoyed it it's pretty good and uh it works well for what it is um i i have no complaints really about it it's it's just a movie that i think um needed some more to it or less to it it should be like an hour and a half or it should be like 45 minutes it's right in a weird spot we're like i want more or i want less if that makes any sense to somebody it could i i feel like it either could have been like a 40 minute uh short that felt like a great episode of Tales in the Crypt or a good episode of Tales in the Crypt or like an hour and a half thing where we go deeper into this world. But I think it's worth checking out, especially if you like the, um, you know, the Sleazebox guys or Sean Donahue's movies. It's not as graphically sexual or anything like that um, or as full of nudity as a lot of these other ones. But uh, it is, you know, it, it does feel like a Donahue movie, but uh, it's not as sleazy as some of that other stuff. But uh, check it out the trailer. See if you're interested.
Okay, guys, the next one is a Patreon pick from Jonathan Wilhelm. And last uh, month, he picked Sorority House Massacre 2, so he picks the sequel, Hard to Die. Directed by Jim Wynorski, guys. Yeah, Hard to Die. Yes! Uh, this is a direct sequel to Sorority House Massacre. And uh, if you guys know, part two, only part two. If you guys know anything about Sorority House Massacre part two, it's not related to Sorority House Parts Massacre one. It uses flashbacks from Slumber Party Massacre. And Hard to Die does the same thing. This time we have five women that are to clean up this, uh, you know, this uh, kind of skyscraper area, go through these files and do inventory, clean it up. And uh, there's a janitor there played by Nor Orville Ketchum, the same character from Sorority House Massacre 2. He's the janitor, and he gives them the creeps, and he has a history. It's the same history as before uh, about the house and everything. So that all happens. So he has this reputation, and all the girls are creeped out by him. But they, of course, get him to tell the flashback story, which is, again, flashback to Slumber Party Massacre. Jim Wynorski, you knew what he was doing. He th you know he thought it was hilarious. So um, what happens is they start cleaning. They get this wrong package that was supposed to go to uh forest uh forey ackerman who is uh, the the guy behind uh, what was it famous monsters magazine he's in this and uh they open it and it somehow brings the soul of uh what was the guy's name the character's name from the other movies into this uh this giant uh skyscraper and you don't know uh this um where the soul jumped into. So we have the women getting picked off. Some of the same women not playing the same characters in here. I think Melissa Moore and the lead, a couple of the leads were from the last one as well are in this. And it's the same lead. Um, somehow they managed to squeeze in the nudity. All five women end up getting naked and it's in a skyscraper. So it's even more ridiculous why they do it. And the other one, they were in their own sorority. So they're like, let's get an underwear. And this one, they're like, we got to take a shower after that work. And there's a shower in the boss's chamber. So guess what? They get in the shower and then they work at a lingerie place. So there's all this lingerie. Let's just put on the lingerie. It's so, so forced at the time, but you know what you're getting yourself into. And Jim Wynorski plays with it. It's not like he's like, oh, I'm such a clever writer. He's just like we're, we got to get them in lingerie right now and it's just like and we know what he's doing and we if you've seen the last movie you, you know exactly it's like part of the comedy part of like the satire in it to be honest uh, I like the setting. Uh, it's a ridiculous movie. It's not gratuitously gory. Orville uh, Ketchum is hilarious, as always, uh, the character. I love him. He keeps getting the crap bit kicked out of him, and he refuses to die. And the ending of this movie, I wish there was another sequel on top of this, because it's very funny how it ends. Uh, there's two cops in here, of course, the cops from last time, and they don't like Orville. They're always on his case. But... Um, it's pretty much the same movie, except now it's in a skyscraper. It has the same girls, uh, a lot of them. They're all getting naked. They're all fighting, and it's just the same. I mean, fighting the killer off. It's just uh, ridiculous. It's silly. It's a rehash of the last one. There's some squibs in this one, some girls shooting machine guns in lingerie, which should make many fans pleased. Uh, it's fun. It's worth checking out. And I'm hoping that Screen Factory does put out Sorority House Massacre Part 2 and Hard to Die in a double feature, because I would be buying them, because they're a lot of fun. And maybe get a 
Jim Wynorski commentary on there. But uh, very silly, uh, very self-aware of what it's doing. And uh, you guys should know what it is. You know, it's just fun. It's just a lot of fun. A madman has sealed off a Los Angeles high-rise. Now, five young women are joining forces and fighting for their lives. Look, it's three against one. The odds are in our favor. Maybe I can increase those odds. He lied, you son of a bitch! Okay, guys, the next one is the VHS Voyage, and this is Dead Girls. This is a bootleg. This junk. Okay, let's get into the pick. I'm just kidding. No, no. Uh, I, I, I never, like, this is junk. That's, I know it's unconstructive, but, you know, I had seen this movie years ago, and when I re-put it, I was like, ah, maybe I hadn't seen this one. And then a while ago, I was like, I did see this one. I just completely forgot everything for good reason. Dead Girls is bad. It follows the story of um, a band called the Dead Girls, and um, the lead keeps having these nightmares about her sister, um, you know, killing herself with her friends. She's left her small town, and what happens is her sister does attempt to kill herself, and so she goes back to her small town. Her sister's in some sort of coma. Her aunt and uncle who are taking care of them, who raised them as kids, are really mad at them but uh, mad at her because of it. And her bandmates are like, let's go, yada, 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 we're on tour. They're, they're, they're you know, their uh, manager's pushing them. So they decide, she says, screw this, they're going to go on vacation. So they take their, what I thought was uh, his daughter, his sis her sister that was in a coma, I thought she was in a coma. They take her on this trip in the, like, in the middle of nowhere and with the band and like a guy to help them and a, a nurse. And that's pretty much the plot of the movie. But it's just so stupid and so ridiculous on top of that and that small town has the religious like factor in there and you know that one of those people's a creep uh, right off the bat but and, and like at one point she showed in the coma like we think it's self-induced and then like the next scene she's like in a wheelchair getting wheeled out and she's ready to go and she's like well i'd be okay and it's like i thought she was in a coma isn't there gonna be a scene where she wakes up from the coma and everybody's like oh she's from a coma it's just it's like completely nonsense that they would let her go on the trip in the first place but i'm not gonna complain okay uh well i am complaining so i am complaining i i whatever but uh, it's just nonsense so they go out to this place and there's a killer that starts to pick everybody off by using their music lyrics which i really like that's a great idea like they'll axe them or stuff like that or they'll strangle them and they use the lyrics and they leave a piece of the lyrics around that's really clever that's really fun the killer looks really cheap he's like a half giallo half misfits cover he's got like the skeleton mask that like was on to be a bunch of misfits covers and then he's like wearing a trench coat like he's in a giallo it just looks really silly it kind of cracks me up in a movie that i want a liked i think that that outfit would just bring a smile to my face but uh the outfit it, it's funny um there's just lots of like ridiculous things the movie's like an hour and 46 minutes long and it's like one of these deals where like the quality's not great and i'm like is this shot on video i don't think it's shot on video it could be 
don't care enough to look into it, but it's probably not. <laughs> Maybe edited on tape. Probably is more like it. Shot on 16, edited on tape. I don't know. Somebody tell me what Dead Girls was shot on. But regardless, um, there's a scene in this movie where somebody drowns and they call the cop to show up. And of course the cop's an asshole. He's like, I don't like you kids and your, your stupid music, yada, yada, yada. It's just like that satanic panic bullshit. And everybody's an asshole in this movie. Everybody ends up being some sort of criminal or a killer. Or there's this weirdo that's just so, t he's just there and he's like, uh, oh, he's uh, so-and-so. He takes care of the ground. That's Elmo. And he's just like, you know, your typical, hey, I'm a slow guy in overalls and a, a flannel type of deal. And you're like, oh, is he the killer i don't know and then at one point in the movie he's not the killer you know he's not the killer he can't be that the red herring's not going to be the killer and, and uh, there's like 12 red herrings but he's not the killer and and uh, sorry for the spoiler eh, sorry but uh anyways uh, you're like oh he's gonna try to save her and then he's like i love you and then he starts getting all pervy on her and you're like after all this he ends up being a pervert too and then a couple of the band members have a uh, have a switcheroo on there and they turn out to be assholes it's like why is everybody an asshole in this movie and then of course there's the killer and then on top of that there's some more people being assholes and then you thought for a while this is going to be a patrick like situation with their daughter well i mean with their sister kind of killing people through her you know maybe her like in a coma but none of this really stuff comes to fruition the kills aren't great there's a couple graphic kills in here there's a cool character who's like this uh she's like kind of a military obsessed like one of the girls of the band she has all these weapons you know yeah let's keep her in this movie let's watch her she's in like 10 percent of the movie and then when she is she obviously gets killed uh, and it sucks because she's the only character that should survive but no good characters, not that many great kills, and for some reason there's no nudity, even though that would suggest there should be. And one of these points, there's like a slight, there's a scene of nudity, but like, it feels like one of these deals where like, they got on set, and either the girl was like, I'm not doing the nudity anymore, they like, threw it on her last minute, like, come on, do the nudity, and she's like, I'll do it for 30 seconds screen time only. So it's like exactly that much uh, screen time. It should have been sleazier, because it's not good enough to like, stand on its like, script as bad as that sounds it's not it's not a good movie it's bad it's painful it's an hour and 46 minutes long really guys you couldn't cut it you couldn't trim the fat but uh dead girls i mean i'm no, no problem with an hour and 46 minute movie that's good but this is not and this is not and like when i'm talking about independent movies like heartbreak killer 68 minutes powerbomb 80 minutes that's what you do you don't you don't make an hour and 46 minute movie that costs ten dollars just don't do it you don't do it but uh, I have seen a couple that are the exception to the rule. Dead Girls is not. All oh, the suicide and death. It was just a gimmick. Something to get attention. No one was supposed to take it seriously. Does anybody here have a medical degree? Any medical training at all? Nursing, physical therapy, pharmaceuticals? But you know she was dead, and you called me in immediately, right? And now maybe she's dead, maybe she isn't, but she's definitely missing, right? So I'm supposed to call out the troops and launch a major search effort, correct? I don't know what kind of town you think this is, but our police force consists of me and a deputy. Our town paper is a four-page bi-weekly, and there's no local TV. So what do you expect to get out of this? Nothing you do up here is going to make the network news. Even if some hotshot reporter did happen by, the only thing they'll find is me following this whole mess away in our crate call folder. You'll get no publicity, 
at our expense. Sheriff, this is not a publicity gimmick. Susie is dead and, and someone's taken her body. Who? Why? When? Who had the opportunity? And why on earth would anybody want to hide this? What are you saying? Look, we didn't exactly keep tabs on each other, Dick Tracy. We stayed in our rooms till we heard you pull up. Well, now you can go back to your own rooms and listen to me pull out. certain about the afterlife. But now I know there's a hell, so bastards like you can burn forever! <laughs> Clint Eilsler, and he picked uh, Sonnentine um, by uh, Takashi Katano. So yeah, I got to watch another Katano movie. I bought this on Voodoo because the Blu-ray from Japan is expensive and the DVD is out of print, I think. So I was like, I'll just buy the HD on Voodoo and check it out. This is uh, Katano. It had also done Violent Cop, which I reviewed, and he stars in this one. This is another Yakuza movie, but this is unlike any Yakuza movie I've seen. It's not like the 70s Yakuza movies, which is like violence, violence, and then newspaper clipping and violence and stuff like that. Those are good movies. Those are cool movies, but this is completely unique and different. This was made in the 90s, and uh, I was very um, impressed with it. We have a group of the the kind of head boss sends Katano and his boys to this new area to kind of basically keep this other gang in line and make peace because they're having some trouble. But that's uh, after sitting there for a while, he realizes that something's kind of, something's kind of weird, and there's a whole scene where they kind of rest in this area, this beach house, for a long period of time. But um, that's pretty much the plot of the movie until uh, you find out exactly what's going on, and uh, you can't trust the Yakuza like you can't trust the, the Mafia or any other gang, really. But uh, that's kind of what happens, and I don't want to spoil too much. But what this movie has going for it, it has a surreal quality, I guess, to it. And Katano is like this character that's almost kind of self-destructive but he's very fun and he's very likable and light-hearted in his uh his other things it's just like one second he's so violent and abrasive and then another second he's joking and playful but there's a couple scenes in this movie and i noticed it happening a couple times this is like a comedy at times there's like really funny moments like a violent moment happens and then something else will follow up and it's very funny or something funny happens and something violent happens it's like funny violent funny violent and you never know when the violence is going to hit because it's so damn funny or so it's got you completely distracted but there's a, a scene in this movie where these two Yakuza that are supposed to be on the same side get in a fight and one stabs them and then later on they're in the bus they have to, they're taking a bus to the town because there's so many of them to go there and the other guy he's like there is ice cream if anybody wants it and it's just like can you imagine all these Yakuza's just eating ice cream and everybody's sitting there silent like and the one guy's eating ice cream later and he's like you want some and the guy's like you stab me in the stomach and it still hurts 
or something like that. And there's like great moments. And there's these two where they're two talking and a, I don't want to spoil too much, but a bomb goes off and there's a sudden shootout, which comes out of nowhere, which you're just like completely don't see it the way it's shot, the way it creeps up on you. And I was just like, whoa. It happens a couple times like that. And I became really attached to the characters in the movie. And it's really smart that at times it's really not all this nonstop violence or action or anything. There's this slowdown where they're on this beach and there's this woman that comes and Katano helps her and they kind of have a relationship. And there's this like bromance between these two young Yakuza and they almost become like best friends. And they're just always around each other, always goofing and whatnot. And it's a really great scene. And uh, all I've had great moments in there. There's lots of great moments in there. And the relationships, like forming with each other, is just beautiful in a lot of ways. And then, of course, you know, that sudden violence will sneak up on you again. And the double crossing. And it's just sad in a lot of ways. And there's some foreshadowing and whatnot, which I liked. But there's this moment that had me laughing out loud where um, they're playing this kind of rock'em, sock'em, robot-style game where they make these little paper fighters and they send them in a ring and then they hit on the sides like this and the, the, the ring will move and whoever falls down loses. And uh, Katano's guy loses and then he's like, wait, this this one's my favorite. And he puts like a little one on there that's like half the size of the other one and he gives him a name and everything. And then like they start doing it and without like two seconds later he falls over and they all just start laughing and i was just like that is wonderful that's so wonderful and it's like shows the bonding between these characters that not everybody's just this big bad yakuza they have like guess the real people and when they die it becomes sad and that's a great way to do it it's just like a drama with great moments of a character development and very uh like intense shootouts that are pretty quick but also feel realistic uh, just great can't recommend it enough. Great performance by Katano. Again, unlike his other performances. Uh, just good stuff and uh, loved it. Okinawa お前どんだけうちの若い人3人も死んでるしな。本場に乗らねえな。その
やめたくなったな結構荒っぽいことやってきましたからねなんかもう疲れたよ金持ってると嫌になっちゃうんじゃないですか Okay, guys, let's hop into the pick a movie drawing. Let me, I don't know why I just got the urge to check that. Let's see who's gonna win this one. Ray Strop. So,、uh, let me know what you want me to check out. I can't remember who won the last time or if they got to me or not, but there we go. Okay, let's hop into. If I can move all this junk, I think we're going to hop into the questions really quick.、Um, American Horror Gory. What's your favorite Italian zombie movie? I've been loving meals recently. Any suggestions? I ask you because I know you know your stuff, Park. Thanks.、Um, you know what? There's not as many as one would think in that genre, but I love almost all of them, so I would recommend checking out them all. But the number one, it's obvious, and I'm going to give you a couple because it's so obvious. I'm sure you've seen it. Zombie. By Lucio Fulci is the、uh, masterpiece. It stands as not only one of the best Italian horror films, but one of the, and, and,、uh, one of the best zombie films and best horror films ever made. It's great. Love it. Adventure movie, zombie movie, action movie, gold. Besides zombie, there's some really fun ones.、Uh, Hell of a Living Dead. If you don't <laughs> mind your movies being completely uh, uh, shameless in the ripoffs, I would recommend it. It's Dawn of the Dead, Contamination Music. It steals Dawn of the Dead's Contamination Music, steals the SWAT guys from Dawn of the Dead. It, it incorporates the Jungle Adventure, nature, it has like nature documentary footage. So, as so many things going on for it, it's very gory, it's very over the top, it's very stupid, it's very bad, probably, but I love it.、Um, Then we have Zombie 3, which is an action, very fun, a very fun movie.、Um, zombie 4, which is absolutely ridiculous. Nightmare City, which some people are like, that's not a zombie movie, that's an infection movie. Yeah, whatever. Whatever. I know it's not, but it counts.、Uh, Nightmare City, love it. Umberto Lenzi,、uh, fast paced action movie where the zombies or the infected look like guys with meatballs. Uh, for heads, and they run around with weapons. It's nonstop. It is one of the most entertaining、uh, Italian horror films you'll ever see.、Um, we have Burial Ground, which is、uh, great in its nightmare logic and、uh, its weird kind of、uh, just setting and everything about it. It's equal parts stupid, cheesy, sleazy, and scary. Cheesy, sleazy, and scary is what I'd call it. I love it. It's gory, it's nasty, and、uh, it makes no goddamn sense half the time.、Um, I, I think I hit all the big ones. Those are the ones that I would highly recommend. Men checking out、um, Zombie, Zombie 3, Zombie 4,、um, Nightmare City, Hell of the Living Dead, and Burial Ground. They're all, they're all winners. They're all fun.、Uh, is there any other ones out there besides like the supernatural zombie movies? And, and if you haven't seen those, like Beyond and City of the Living Dead, you got to see those too, those faulty ones, because Beyond is amazing. It's not just a zombie movie, it's a Gates of Hell movie, so everything crazy happens. You have tarantulas and all dogs turning on people. And then City of the Living Dead's the same kind of deal.、Um, Both those are highly recommended as well.、Um, I, I just can't pick a couple because they're all good, if that makes any sense. Literally, like every Italian zombie movie is pretty gold.、Um, all those ones I named. And House by the Cemetery even has like a zombie kind of in it. So I'd recommend all those. But if you only got one, zombie. Probably zombie. go with zombie if you haven't seen that one. I mean, there's not as many as I'd like there to be. I wish that genre never stopped. But. Um, then we have、uh, Nick Mua. Did you enjoy Django Unchained?、Uh, what do you make of the controversy surrounding the picture? I love the movie.、Uh, it's an exploitation movie, a modern exploitation movie with、uh, you know, like A list performances in there.、Um, 
Jamie Foxx, Samuel Jackson, uh, Christoph Waltz, Qu uh, Leonardo DiCaprio, all did great in it. I love seeing the actors pop up, uh, like, you know, uh, who is it? James Russo pops up in there, and Tom Savini, and, oh, James Remar, uh, you know, a bunch of people like that popping up. I love the movie. I think it's great. I think it's, uh, it even has Don Stroud in it. Um, so, yeah, vastly entertaining movie. Um, violence is just insane and over the top. The controversy, I don't know. You know, I'm not really one to speak on that. I love film. It's just a movie at the end of the day for me, so... And uh, I don't know. I don't really have much of an opinion on the controversy. I know what I like, and I love the hell out of it. And just because someone else doesn't like it or is offended by it doesn't mean I'm not going to watch it. Um, how do you feel about younger directors trying to revive old movie genres? I really did enjoy David Robert Mitchum's Under the Silver Lake mystery film. Mystery meets film noir in contemporary setting. Um, I do like that they're trying to revive some of these genres. I'm not too familiar with that many new movies, so I don't know what what's being revived and what's not being revived and stuff like that. I don't watch that many new horror, new films. I watch them mostly keep in like the genre movies, like horror and stuff like that, those kind of genres. But uh, I really wish some people would revive the freaking Western. And I'm not talking these cheap... You can't make a Western cheap. I mean, you can, but you can't make it dirt cheap. You need the widescreen lenses. You need the great, beautiful landscape for me, to be honest. So, like, I want... I wish they would revive the Western. And then, I, uh, who's your favorite Belgium actor? That's a question that I'm not too familiar with Belgium actors. And I was looking at like the top hundred, and I was like, I don't know any of these people. So it's like I don't really know. Like the, my favorite Belgium actors would be like, who who's the guy? Is Man Bites Dogs a Belgian movie? It's probably the lead Man Bites Dog. You know, Remy something. I can't think of his name, but that's I think that's a Belgian movie, and I think he was pretty good in that. Uh, James Grimmer, do you prefer to watch Italian films, subbed or dubbed? What informs your decision? Have you ever come across a bad dub? Uh, I usually, like, this is funny. I was just talking about this. My Italian movies, I always watch dubbed because all the actors in the movie are speaking in their native language on set. So most of the actors that I'm going to know if they're speaking English, like, you know, like a Jack Palanzas in it or somebody like that, or they're going to be speaking English on the movie or John Saxton. So I'm like... And a lot of times they dub their own voices, so I'm like, why would I watch it in Italian? It makes no sense. So I can, you know what I mean? So I can watch John Saxon speak Italian and look bad. I'd rather see John Saxon look better. It depends the actors in the movie, but I'll always watch an Italian movie or a Spanish movie in English. Nowadays, though, a new one I would watch in, in their language. And I always watch Asian movies um, subbed because the dubbing in those looks really bad. So I always watch those subbed. Um, I have come across a bad dub. Uh, a really, truly bad dub is uh, Django. The original Django, I watched that subbed because the dubbing's terrible. The guy who dubbed uh, Franco Nero is terrible. So, yeah. Um, so, I basically watch most, all my Italian movies uh, dubbed. Um, Peter Engelin, question, name your three favorite Bud Spencer and Terrence Hill movies. To be brutally honest, um, I don't think Terrence Hill and Bud Spencer ever, like got the popularity they got overseas that they got here and i'm not sure how many of their movies were really widely released here or for the very most re-released here so i'm not that familiar with them i don't even know if i've seen any from them i know terrence hills and a couple ones like my name is nobody that i'm i i, I have but i don't Give me some recommendations. Which one should I watch? Because that's a, a, a sub subgenre, a subgenre of a subgenre that I'm really weak on. I don't. They they're not as uh, popular here. I do think I've seen. Um, oh, a uh, Bud Spencer is in. Um, geez, what is that? Um, a reason to live, a reason to die, isn't he? I've seen him in that, and he's pretty good in that. 
and yeah, yeah, with that Telly Savalas. But it's just those those duo guys are not as popular around here, and I didn't know them growing up at all. Um, answers from the last week I asked, what is your favorite Italian subgenre of film? Uh, Jonathan William, definitely the Italian zombie subgenre is my favorite. So many solid and fun uh, movies from Fulci, Mattei, Lenzi, and. Uh, Oh, he asked, what is your favorite Italian zombie outside Fulci Zombie? Because, come on, that would be too easy. He asked me that, too. So, oops, uh, I, I'll answer that here. I know it's not technically in the right spot. But, um, ooh, man, I can't just pick one. It's either Hell of the Living Dead, Nightmare City, or Burial Ground. Or Zombie 3. I can't pick one. I love them all. Uh, Peek and Boo. Answer to the question of the week. Cannibal exploit cannibal slash exploitation and or giallo. But if I have to choose one, cannibal it is. Too bad there weren't that many of them. Yet, yeah, you're right. That's the same thing with the zombies. Oh, I also forgot to mention zombie holocaust. Check that one out too. Also a zombie and a cannibal one. Uh, Viper Rose 1978. In terms of my favorite subgenre of Italian film, I'd have to say giallo. Tenebrae is probably my favorite movie of all time. However, close second would be Nightmare City, which I don't even think you can really categorize. It's just too all over the place. Yeah, I love both of those. Tenebrae is also my favorite, uh, probably my favorite giallo. Or second favorite after um, Don't Torture a Duckling. That's my favorite Argento, though. I love it. Uh, Paul Weichel, my favorite subgenre of Italian films would have to be zombie. In my opinion, zombies have been overused in recent years, but when I was younger, there was nothing like a good Italian zombie movie. The Italians were able to create that type of atmosphere that couldn't be duplicated anywhere else in the world. I also enjoy a good sword and sandal movie. I prefer when there are some monsters involved in the story. Feel better. Thank you. Ben Miller, favorite subgenre of Italian films? I'd say a tie between zombies and supernatural mythical horror. Zombies encompassing even contamination plague. Zombies, City of the Living Dead, Burial Ground. That's for supernatural stuff like Inferno, The Beyond, Demons, and The Church. I think Fulci is a great way to go into these because he covers many genres, even really like The Devil's Honey. I lastly want to give an honorable mention to Italian post-apocalyptic action films like Escape from the Bronx in 2019 after the fall of New York. Even if several of them are Mad Max uh, rip-offs of Mad Max, they are still really fun, gory, and don't get enough love. If Escape from the Bronx isn't apocalyptic enough, then The New Barbarian or Endgame, that sort of thing. Nick Mua. I do enjoy the occasional spaghetti western, especially when wrath and vengeance are included in the plot. Django is a classic. These films were a big influence on Tarantino, Tarantino's work, as we all know. James Grimmer. I would have to say that I thoroughly enjoy Jolly as well as spaghetti western. Both subgenres are engaging for me to watch, and I can't say I've ever watched a bad giallo or spaghetti western. You can't go wrong with spending a lazy afternoon with either one. Peter Engeland, favorite subgenre of Italian films? One, Euro Westerns. Two, Giallo. Three, Polizia Tetsi. Um, and I guess I'm going to go to the question of the week, which is kind of a statement that someone made that I want to kind of elaborate on and ask you guys a question or two. Uh, Brian Nelson or Nielsen asked, I myself have been losing interest in movies over the past few years. As far as horror goes, there's a massive glut of shit out there, and I don't have the time or inclination to sift through all it all. Also, quite simply, I think my age is making me a bit closed-minded. Have you guys ever lost interest in horror movies? I know I did for a while at times. And what is the reason for it? Is it too many bad independent movies? Is it too many bad Hollywood movies? Is it too much of the same thing? Is it just seeing too much of the same type of genre and wanting to like kind of liven it up with other things? All right, the question really is, have you guys ever lost interest in horror? And what was the reason? Okay, guys, I think that's everything. Uh, let's hop into the update. Okay, guys, let's hop into this, the update. Let's start this out with the Planet of the Apes Legacy Collection. Believe it or not, I've never seen a Planet of the Apes movie. 
I don't know why. I saw the Tim Burton one, okay? And you guys could see why I never wanted to watch another one. But, uh, yeah, this is a five-disc set and includes Planet of the Apes, Beneath the Planet of the Apes, Escape from the Planet of the Apes, Conquest of the Planet of the Apes, and Battle for the Planet of the Apes. These were like $20, Blu-ray set, Amazon, couldn't pass it up. Look forward to watching these. I think I'll actually like them. It's just I never, never had a chance. Okay, let's hop into some more Blu-rays. And we got uh, this from Dark Force, uh, Cop Killers, along with Project Kill. Yeah, this is the fifth release of Dark Force. Um, yeah, not checked these out, never seen it. Looks like it has a new HD transfer. I had the old DVD of this one, and I've never seen uh, Project Kill either. So I guess, uh, yeah, Dark Force. You guys know them. Uh, but then we have, uh, the Backlot Murders, um, which is another Dark Force release. I don't know. I grabbed this because it was cheap. This is number four. Corey Haim's in this. I'd never even heard of this movie, to be honest, before this. And, like, everybody had before. I was like, what's going on? I don't know what this is. It happens rarely with horror movies, to be honest. <laughs> like, you know, previous horror movies from, like, even the 60s, 70s, 80s, 90s. And when I haven't heard of it, I'm just kind of, like, thrown for a loop. I'm like, what? But it happens. It happens to everybody. It didn't look particularly great, but I, I figured I'd grab it. Then we have Primal Scream, also from Dark Force. An extraterrestrial energy source. A deadly cover-up. The future of mankind hangs in the balance. Uh, not seen this one, uh, but it looks ridiculous. <laughs> what is that? Ooh, is that guy in a raincoat? What's going on? But, uh, yeah, I've not seen this. It looks weird. It looks fun, kind of. So, yeah. And then we have one uh, from Code Red. Screams of a Winter Night. Lots of controversy hiding behind this release. Uh, yeah, I guess this has two versions of the movie. I've never seen it. It's an anthology. It's a Bigfoot movie. I don't know. I heard it's kind of dull, but I'm interested. I've been interested in checking this one out forever. you got to pull teeth to get a copy, though. And then we have uh, Steel Arena from uh, Dark Force. Uh, is this a Mark Lester flick? Never seen it. Looks like an exploitation one. Is it? Yep, Mark Lester. Love Mark Lester. Class of 1984, Class of 1999, Commando, Firestarter, uh, Armed and Dangerous. It's got a, it's got a long list of uh, movies that are really fun. So yeah, I'm going to check this one out as well. Steel Arena. Um, then we got Blind Date uh, from Nico Makaraskis. Um, not seen this as Joseph Bottoms. I reviewed a movie last week. I forgot Joseph Bottoms existed. And then all of a sudden, uh, two Joseph Bottoms movies I'm talking about back to back. But uh, Brother of uh, Sam and Tim Bottoms. But yeah, the ultimate high-tech thriller. Uh, this looked kind of interesting. Um, and I like Nico Makaraskis movies. This is a Scorpion release, Kino Scorpion release. So yeah. And then we have Never Too Young to Die. Uh, that last one, Blind Date, and this one I got during the Target sale. But I heard this movie's nonsense. John Stamos, Vanity, Gene Simmons, um, Shout Factory. I heard this movie's crazy and weird, so I grabbed it. But uh, that's it for the update. Uh, hope you guys enjoyed it. Back to the video. Okay, guys, thank you very much for watching. And as always, you guys have a good one. Mm.